Our guest today is Tim Lowry, who is the founder of Tip Top Search and Marketing, where he helps brands leverage SEO to get better awareness and conversions online. A quick caveat, I have worked in and around the marketing industry for over 10 years now, and SEO continues to be the one area that is most fraught with wasted spend, scams, and fly-by-night marketers, I'm putting them in air quotes, who have no idea what they're doing, but will charge you $1,000 a month to do it. Tim is the antithesis of all of this. He's one of the few people I know personally who actually understands what SEO is, how to leverage it effectively, and he has the capabilities to actually do it on behalf of his clients. He's worked with authors and brands all over the country to get their names out there, and I'd trust him if I were launching a project of my own, which is really the biggest endorsement that I could give. During this episode, Tim explains how companies should be thinking about SEO in 2022 and how he would start getting a brand momentum today if you were starting over. He also has the best accent of anyone on this show so far, bar none. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode with Tim. I think you will too. Let's get into it with SEO specialist, Tim Lowry. Put that content down. Content. For closes only. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, welcome back into Content is for Closers. We are back yet again with another exciting episode for you. As we said in the intro, we're talking to Tim Lowry. And this is probably one of the deepest episodes we, we have in terms of the actual material. I'm very excited to get to it. But before we do, Carlton, the masses have been clamoring for another another installment of our hot take segment. So so hit us with it. What do you have for this week? Yeah, man. So we've got this hot take segment and sometimes we'll be current with our events, but sometimes we got to mix it up because this show is not recorded live. So um, this is kind of a general advertising slash marketing question. But do you think that more personal ads are creepy or more beneficial. So, so more creepy. Are you creeped out by them or do you think people are creeped out by them or do you think that they're more helpful and more beneficial than if we didn't have these super personalized coincidental ads? Gotcha. And so last time I dove in and then wished I would have gotten more clarification. So I need a little extra uh, detail here. Are you talking, when you say personalized, do you mean like they're, they're it, like when people are like, I was just talking about this mug and then I got an ad for it. Or are you saying like, Hey, Adam? Yeah. Ad. So no, that's a good question. Cause sometimes it is coincidental, but yeah, you've got this trend of just becoming more and more personal, right? Ad advertising. So yeah, I guess like some people think that that's just in, in general, creepy and annoying. And then like some people think that it's actually better because they see what they'd want to see and yeah. what would be most helpful. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I guess uh, just generally speaking, personal ads or personalized ads or whatever don't bother me. Probably because I'm in this is what we do to some degree and and then part of it is because yeah, I'm not trying to see and no offense to anyone who is, but I just I'm not interested in buying Tampax or or whatever. Yeah. So like I'm just not looking for specific ads on that and uh I I keep my stuff pretty curated in terms of digital consumption. Mm -hmm. So having, having ads that align with that are, are more helpful to me, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd probably, I'd, as much as I like to disagree with you, Adam, I think I'm going to say the, 
you know, stay <laughs> the same place as you because last week you committed to a bad executive regime at Twitter just to disagree yeah, with me. Yeah, but. just to just to disagree with you. <laughs> so in in my opinion, I'm annoyed by a couple of things with advertising in general, but one of those is ads that don't have any relevance to whether any whether they know anything about me. And then the second thing is if if I see an ad and I've already bought the thing, that's annoying. So it would be nice if there was some like some button where you could just be like, already got this or like not applicable and they could even make it more personalized and I wouldn't care. So I do think there's like privacy issues around what, sure. what, what is that threshold of security and privacy that's being overreached. But in general, I, I tend to actually invite our advertising overlords. <laughs> so yeah, it's a hot take, a hot take to some degree. Yeah. How do you feel about things like, and this isn't necessarily, but like, for instance, you mentioned this earlier, that's why I'm bringing it up, but like the Spotify wrapped feature that everyone's posting about right now. Yeah. Obviously that is an engine that's giving you predictive content based on your content, but yeah. people don't see that as an ad for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's like, I've willingly pushed on all these buttons, right? Like in, in, in general, we like things figured out for us. So especially when it comes to like Pandora was the first version of that, right? Like, like I just want to hit like a style or some genre. And then I want you to like find out what I like and only mm -hmm. play that. I will, I will kind of rant on Apple music for a second. Like they are terrible at knowing what I like. Like, like mm. you'd think something as simple as acoustic folk would be easy to, to figure out and like not play abrasive songs, mm -hmm. but it's like this, this five minute w within playing it. And it's already playing some like random alt song. That's annoying. So yeah, it's bizarre how they aren't. I just want to appreciate as well. You definitely are a fan of that music by the fact that you pronounce the L in folk or folk. I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like that's a, the sign of a true believer. So there you go. So shout out to you. Um, cool. Well, obviously we, we're about, we're going to get to the episode here shortly with Tim. Before we do, Carlson, what did you hear this week that uh, that would be helpful for the audience? Okay, so I've got two things written down, and I was trying to decide a last second, but I think what would be most helpful is this website called AppSumo, and they basically have limited time deals. So this kind of falls in the spirit of like Black Friday and and uh, the holiday season. But essentially what they do is they'll have people that will launch their app and make it available on AppSumo. And then they will heavily discount it. So if you get it within that time and you're one of the limited seats that gets it, then you'll get like maybe a thousand dollar app for something like 30 bucks or 50 bucks and it will be the lifetime subscription. So it's a clever model that you kind of have to be careful. You don't, you're not just buying software because it's cheap. Uh, but right. if you like software and you're maybe find, trying to find like niche or smaller solutions for some of the things that your business does like email or like calendar related things, like it can be a really cool place to find um, some powerful software that's just up and coming, but also quite affordable. Ah, that's a great one. Not just buying software because you need it. We just went through yesterday, you and I, the kind of accounting of like, what do we have? What are we paying for? And that list went a lot longer than, yeah. than I was expecting it to. Yeah. Um, if it makes you feel better though, Adam, I was talking to a CFO of a company today and they were saying that every single year he estimates, now they're, they're, they're a bigger company of maybe 50 right. people but that they spend around $150,000 on software licenses. Wow. 
So I was like, well, we're lower than that. Hey, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, no, we're not even close. We're probably a tenth of that or, or, yeah. or less even. So yeah, that's cool. But speaking of planning for next year, I kind of talked last week about traction. It's a book that has helped us. And so for this, for this week of have you heard, I'm going to do pull a Carlton and tell you about a project that I've been working on. Uh, we've been working on here at herd and that is our content snacks episodes. If you haven't heard, I know you haven't some of you, because I look at the analytics, some of you only <laughs> come for the interviews and then you bail, which is fine. But specifically as you're looking at your planning for next year, last week's episodes and the week before Thanksgiving we're both kind of dedicated to explaining in full detail how we are going about that process. And especially when it comes to content, I think some of you would benefit from hearing some of those episodes, uh, like, cause the question gets asked all the time, how do we, how do we execute? What does this actually look like in, in detail and all those sorts of things? And um, that's exactly what we talked about over those two weeks of episodes. So I would highly encourage you if you're just a, uh, an interview listener, welcome. Thank you for coming here. Go check out all those other ones. I think you'll enjoy them. Awesome. Hey, well, with that, let's jump into the episode with Tim Lowry. All right, we've got Tim Lowry from Tip Top Search and Marketing. And yeah. you'll quickly discover, if you're listening to this, Tim has easily the best accent of any guest that, that I think we'll have on. Kind of, what is it, Tim? Your, your background, Irish? Yeah, Northern Irish. So from the Belfast area initially, and then yeah. having spent many years here, it's kind of became a blend of everything. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That you're in the South, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so that brings its own thing. But yeah, if nothing else, I wanted to have Tim on so that we can all collectively hear you talk because, but no, Thank really you. appreciate you coming on and obviously going to talk about some organic content today. Going to talk about what SEO actually is and, and how customers can think about it. But before we get into all that, I would love, you have kind of a unique story and I think a, a, a telling story in the sense of where you came from and how then you started Tip Top and how that's shaped how you view organic content. So yeah. we'd just love for you to give the, the quick synopsis on how we got to this point. Yeah, for sure. And thanks again for having me on, Adam. So yeah, my background is not traditionally in digital marketing. I started a different journey. I started out in traditional publishing, which would have been in the market of Paperback books, hardback books, working with the major retailers for that. So Barnes & Noble, also Amazon, obviously started to shift in that digital aspect of selling books online. And then, of course, all the other mom and pop stores that used to dominate and fill those spaces. And really, that helped get that understanding of what kind of content, what do you need to create, to publish, to put out there, to get that sell through. Mm -hmm. um, a big pivot kind of came along as ebooks and started becoming a thing as people started looking for more of that UGC, like user generated reviews, things like that, that help kind of sway that. And then of course, the online presence of authors being able to find and discover the authors that you like reading and learning more about them or being influenced in other ways through bloggers, affiliate sites that would be doing reviews of books. And then of course, they put in Amazon links. And that just kind of triggered off some of that interest and like, well, how do things, how do we make this visible online? We no longer can, you know, pay for an end cap in a store or for, you know, some other placement that you would have done through the traditional method. So it was starting then to create those micro sites for authors, optimizing listings so that they would be more visible for specific keyword searches, working with, again, bloggers who already had 
built-in networks of readers. How do we get our authors, their books featured or reviewed by these people? And then you see that direct correlation of like, oh, this person done a really great review on their website and the next 24 hours we spiked on Amazon and sold, mm. you know, a thousand copies of this product because this one influential person spoke about this product. So that really, that got me a little bit excited. There's kind of that adrenaline kick. You get to see if that just instantaneous of like this done over here, here's the result over here. And it's very easy to see. So yeah, that was, that was my journey into that. And then from there, some opportunities came along that got me into more of the e-commerce side of that and eventually started helping on some e-commerce sites and learning SEO along the way. And now seven years down the road, I had my own agency for the last five and a half of those years. And primary focus is largely with e-commerce clients. It's creating that intersection of content and commerce, and then also working with some B2B, but typically they have a commerce aspect to what they're they're doing. There's something that they may be selling and the lead time is just a little bit longer, but again, helping them in the same kind of strategy, but more of a B2B style. So, Right. Cool. Thank you for that. I, I want to get into some of this. So obviously we, we actually worked together on one small project a year and a half ago, or maybe two years now. Time is a, uh, uh, I don't even, time means nothing anymore um, Yeah, in the last couple of years. But, and so I got to see firsthand and I think your unique perspective when it comes to content, because even just in telling your story, you have this unique blend of, first of all, knowing the purpose of content right right off the front, which is conversions for for dollars, essentially, right? Like, how do we take content and make it drive business? But mm-hmm. a lot of times when folks have that sort of mindset, it can come off as scammy or overly salesy. And your foundation, I think, won't allow you to do that because you were working with authors, you were working with artists uh, who really, really believed in in the quality and the craft of their work. So a lot of times, I think, when it comes to SEO, when it comes to organic content and thinking about it in that commerce sense, people get hesitant because they've been burned before or they, mm-hmm. they, they've heard the term SEO but have no clue what it actually you know entails or how to do it well. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe just lay a primer on what what does good SEO, SEO done well, um, what does that look like and, and what, what what can the outcomes of that be? Yeah, big question. So I'll try and distill it down as best as possible. But SEO done well is not just traffic growth, it's revenue growth. And ultimately what you're doing is providing value for your users. If you go into it with the mindset of we just want to rank a ton of keywords and we don't care what we have to do to rank those keywords, then you're going to miss the marks on those other things. The users aren't going to necessarily have the experience. So it's finding that blend of where is it that we're going to optimize and create things and where is it that we're solely focusing on the user. And SEO really, it blends in just more than content. There's everything from how a site functions, how Google's able to crawl the site and understand the context of what this site is about. There's metrics like the page speed. Google pays attention. If you have a slow, clunky site, if it's not secure, then you have a bunch of other technical things. And then alongside that, um, the architecture, can Google crawl its way through your site? Or do you have a lot of silos or things that are just orphaned off where nothing links to it. If those things happen, then you're not really flowing equity well through Mm -hmm. your site. So there's the two different parts of the technical SEO. And then there is the kind of more glamorous or more fun on page, like what do we create, optimize, do. And you need that foundation of technical to be right 
for the other part to work. And once you bring it all together and you do it well, then for businesses, then that's, that's where it happens. That's where sure. the growth can be. I was going to say the sky's the limit, but really the limit is the keywords of what your audience are looking yeah. for. Like that's the yeah. true ceiling off it. And for some businesses, it really is the sky is the limit where you can have millions of users per year. Other businesses, if they get 500 users per month, that could be huge for them. And that could equate to tens of millions of dollars. And it just depends on what you're selling and what you're doing. So pragmatically, I think you, you mentioned a few times there, the, the keywords being either a limiting factor or or the thing that can really fuel your growth. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about just practically speaking, figuring out where your people are spending time in terms of keywords, mm-hmm. what what's going to resonate with them from a messaging standpoint, those sorts of things? Yeah, there's a few different methods. So of course, the first thing is it's learning the business. Like what do they what do they do? What are they selling? Understanding their process, what makes their product unique or their service unique, and then figuring out how those customers are searching for that. Some of that is done just through making the searches, taking a look at what the result page says. A business owner might be like, we do X. And then whenever you Google up what X is, the competitors that are on there are not competitors to their business. They view themselves incorrectly. So it's sometimes finding out like, Mm. what is that specific thing? And the big thing is really the intent of the result page. If you're, if you optimize something, but the intent is not correct on the page, then you're not going to get the results. But if you optimize correctly towards the intent, then you're going to perform better because you've now met the expectation of not just Google, but the user that Google is saying is going to be on that page. Okay. Um, so, so real quick, let's pause there. Yeah. You, so intent, you, you said, if you're not matching the intent, if you're explain what that yeah. means to, yeah. to the business. So you could, you could Google something up and if you look on the result page and all of the result on that page is content and your goal is to have your service page rank on that page, the intent and the page that you're optimizing to try and get on there, it doesn't matter how good you make it. Google's determining that the search intent at that stage is more informational than transactional. So yeah. it's knowing where the user is in the journey. So you want to meet them and intersect at the different stages of intent. So if they're, I kind of think of it around like you have your informational intent, then you have your commercial intent keywords, and it's knowing when to time for those and what pages to optimize for that. Cool, super helpful. And I think that's something that people can often it's, it's just, a, it's an easy mistake to make, right? You think, oh, yeah, it's, it's so owner. easy yeah. and it changes so often. Cause again, Google, they're constantly, they're updating and you can look at something now and six months later, they've changed how that result page, all of a sudden there's an answer box. It's up at the top. There's people also ask these questions and really Google is an answer engine. And your goal is to provide the best possible answers to what somebody's looking for. And if you do that, then they're going to have more comfort around you, your brand, because you're displaying that expertise and you're meeting them at the different intersections of their journey before they make that purchase. Right. Right. Okay, good. So, so we started off, we're, we're assuming, and obviously the, uh, the business owner, the marketer or whatever needs to verify this individually, but that the technical side of things is buttoned up. Let's just assume yeah. that for a second. So that's step one. Step two, you know, you find the, these keywords, you recognize what the intent is both on the, mm-hmm. on the search side, as well as what you're trying to provide. And mm-hmm. then talk to us then about then going into optimizing on page. How, how do you think about that? What's the process look like? Yeah. So just the 
at its simplest, like core foundational level. So you have a few different elements to the page. So the first thing we'll talk about is title and meta description. Those are what people see in the result page. Increasingly, Google is starting to scrape the page now and they might do more of a dynamic meta description. So that makes you think like, okay, well, what I say on my page better be good because the more quality there is to that, then the more opportunity Google has to grab things and put them out there and that could increase the click-through rate. So your title needs to be clear. It needs to be natural language. That's the big thing. It's like mm -hmm. there's keywords, but you don't want to stuff something with keywords just to get them in there. It has to be natural and incorporate the keyword. It doesn't matter if you put that keyword to the front of your title tag or in the middle of a sentence. It's knowing how to construct it in a way, kind of like Google ad copy, like what's gonna make somebody click on that? It's a real so, quick, yeah, the, the idea yeah. behind natural to add to that, you're, you're saying like, cause some people may or may not know, but in back in the day, whenever this was, I mean, <laughs> you would just sort of stuff some of the keywords that you hope to- Oh yeah, like a Thanksgiving for, right? turkey, you just fill that thing full of keywords, <laughs> it's like, and there's people that still, they think that SEO, you can still do that. The reality is it's, you know, probably been close to a decade now that yeah. Google has really frowned upon something like that, but you'll still find it. Occasionally you'll land on something and you read it and you're like, oh my, it's like, it's just, it's uncomfortable to read because it feels so rigid. This has been a long time since I've seen this, but there would be some sites where you'd be on the page and then you'd somehow accidentally highlight something and you'd realize yeah. they had a bunch of text on like a colored background, but they oh, made goodness, the text. Yeah. That was the best. Yeah. And you you kind of yeah. stumble across that sometimes. Yeah. There's none of that stuff gets through now. It's like Google, yeah. their algorithms are way smarter than we are. And what they're looking for is genuinely what is giving value to the user and their algorithms are able to tell that. So whenever you're trying to rank for a keyword, it's not just one single keyword, you're trying to rank around all of the different related terms and ways that people can talk about this. So that's known as LSI, so it's latent semantic indexing. So Google now they look for this word, but anybody that talks about this subject, what other themes and words do they use that surround that? And by incorporating that into how you're you're creating your content, how you're optimizing your page, that's going to present more value and opportunity because now all of a sudden your page isn't just rigid, it flows, it's easy for people to read. If they look at it for a different way of saying it, they're finding it on there. So really it's that incorporating of those. And then of course on the page, um, you have your H1 tag, your header tag, super important, your H2s, H3s, structuring it in a semantic order that makes sense. You don't want to have all your headings out of order because then think of it as your H1 is the title of your book. Your H2 is basically the chapters and then the H3 are the subsections of those chapters. You don't start a book with a subsection and then go to the title and then go right. to, you want to have something where Google can break down that information that allows them then for the likes of those answer boxes. Whenever you see numbered lists that are pulled in or bullets that are pulled in, they're usually based around the heading structure. And if Google has that clear heading structure, it helps them to be able to scrape that into the result. Super helpful. So I want to talk about picking platforms and, and how you uh, advise clients on doing that. But before we do, the, the one other thing that I would say I really learned from you and just the importance of it when, when we worked on that project together was your mindset was constantly like, okay, 
this is what we're doing today, but we need to put in either measurement or reminders or whatever to check in three months, in six months, in nine months to see how this content is performing, how mm -hmm. the, the marketplace has changed and what we need to alter as a result. Mm -hmm. How important is it to, to come back and refresh content? And how do you go about that when, especially an e-com site, like some of the people you work with are going to have hundreds of pieces of content uh, that they yeah. need to, they need to think about that for. I literally was just doing that yesterday. I have a client and in the winter time, we have a winter riding boot post. Last winter, it was heroic. It drove tons of traffic, great revenue, and there was products that are now no longer in stock. And straight away in my mind, it's like, okay, we're about to enter September. Once October comes, Google's going to pick that thing back up again. And if we have dead links in there, if products are out of stock, so it was going through and it's like, what are our new products for 2021 that are going to be big this winter? Let's go ahead and refresh the post a little bit. So it's thinking around seasonality. So that's one of the things. If there's seasonality to your post, or your product or whatever's in it, making sure that you have just those reminders, whether you use something like Apple's reminder or if you just have Google notifications, whatever you want to do, set up those reminders so you know to go back. And then the other one would be best off guides. If you do a best off something 2021, if you don't update it by the time 2022, 2023 comes around, you can be sure that Google's going to drop that because it's lost its relevancy. So just going in, updating the date, refresh the intro, maybe add a new one to the list, drop one off the list, and then just push it back out to Google. They will then keep you in that position. So that way you're not really aging your content as much. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's one of those things, like it's a little bit more labor intensive. And like you said, if you have hundreds of pieces of content on the site, but what you have to do is a little bit of benchmarking and paying attention to like, which ones are worth the going back and doing, sure. when should we be doing them? Not every post is created equal. Some are going to drive way more traffic. Some are going to drive more revenue. Some of them are created because they're going to get shares and build links. And it's knowing which ones to, to pull the lever on at the right time. And again, we try to do a holistic approach in how we create content. And some of it is going to be trying to drive that commerce and revenue. But we also know that Google likes sites that are linked to from other sites. Mm -hmm. So we're going to create content that people want to link to and want to share. And that's going to help pass more equity. And then anything that we link out of that then that basically becomes a hub that can help things rank quicker. So again, it's you have to build different pieces into your strategy that are going to have different goals and what they're doing. And that piece may not necessarily drive the revenue, but it's going to allow you to rank other pieces that do drive revenue. So it's that fine balance of knowing how to do that. Yeah, it's, I love, I love, especially talking to someone like you who really, you know, enjoys it and, and understands it because it is such an art and science but behind it. There's so much that I feel like if you as a consultant or, or a vendor, an agency owner can understand or have a feel for what is going to work in the, in the ebbs and flows of it, that's almost more, or it is more valuable. I think the, the technical, the scientific part is important, but knowing what to, to emphasize and what to get behind is probably the most important thing. So yeah. when people are thinking about when, when brands, when businesses, when e-commerce platforms 
are thinking about where do I go? Like, where do I spend my time? Obviously there's going to be on-site stuff, but there's also, mm-hmm. uh, offsite platform building stuff. And I know from your, from your days supporting authors to even now you talk about selecting the right platform to invest in. Think about that and, and, and advise people with that. Yeah. It depends a lot of times on the business and what they're doing and their goals. Like if you're a large e-commerce then choosing the right e-commerce platform is essential. Do you go with, you know, a Shopify or are you at a Shopify plus level? Is big commerce a better option? Magento, do you need to incorporate a very high level ERP system that works with it? Headless, not headless. There's a lot of different decisions mm-hmm. that are made along the way. And if you make the wrong decision, you'll find that you quickly outscale the CMS that you have, or it doesn't allow the functionality of what you're trying to do. If you sell two or three products, but you want to do really highly customizable pages, then maybe it's going for more of like a WordPress iteration with a headless e-commerce integration into that. So it's knowing knowing the goals. If you're just purely B2B, WordPress is probably going to be your better option. But the second the e-commerce comes into it, then you really want to have something more than a WordPress site with WooCommerce, because you're right. gonna your hands are gonna get tied pretty quickly. Whereas um, if you run a Shopify Plus, the amount of other apps and integrations that you can use by way of email marketing for your ads, for social, everything else, there's so many other ways that you can optimize your sales channels. Even if you sell through Amazon, you can then start integrating your Amazon sales that are populated through that CMS. And it's trying to think of that holistic approach to your business, or maybe you just use Amazon as your only sales channel. You might decide, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't provide the marketing engine that is needed to get it out here, but I can put my time into three or four listings on Amazon and really drive revenue through that. And for some businesses, that's, that's where they go. They go to Amazon. The only downside is versus that direct to consumer is, of course, Amazon is going to get their their cut from whatever you're selling. But the plus side is to you is that you have this totally different search engine than Google and 60% of commercial intense searches will start in Amazon. People will go there and they'll look for that iPhone case or for, you know, running shirts, whatever it might be. They might start their search there. And if you have a listing that's performing really well, then all of a sudden you're capturing that audience and you can you can really scale a business. And I've seen some businesses that have had just exponential growth through Amazon. I've seen some that sell through their own site and through Amazon. And now Amazon is bigger than their own site just because that's where their audience have now started shopping. So that all their component is, where is your audience shopping? Do they shop? on Amazon? Are they the people that are researching and looking through Google and then landing to the product? And it's really going to come down to what it is. If you have a really high-end product, odds are people aren't going to Amazon for it. They're going to go to your site. If you have something that people want quickly, they want something that's good, but they don't want to pay the premium price, then they're probably going to go to Amazon and look for that iPhone case or whatever it might be on a much quicker I just want to refresh my case. I'm tired of how it looks and they'll jump on there. And if your listing is optimized really well, you'll find a ton of what I would call kind of no name brands that are selling and they're ranking high and they have 20, 30,000 reviews. And you're like, I don't see spec or 
any of those other brands. What's the other one with like the really thick shield that's for the phone? Oh, yeah, Otter. Uh, Otterbox. Otter, you, know, Otter you don't yeah. see like there's no Otter box that is to the top of Amazon. There's going to be a knockoff Otter box that's probably right. a tenth of the price. But they're crushing that channel for their sales, and for them to go onto Google and to try and compete does not make sense. But for OtterBox, they have that brand recognition, and people are going to pay the premium to buy a really tough, resistant case of their site. So again, it's knowing your audience. Yeah, and the one thing I would add to that is, is I mean, I think Tim, you're not necessarily giving people branding advice with that. You're, you're saying like channel yeah. the attention, channel the traffic. The, the yeah. one thing you do have to think about from a brand perspective is, let's say you're, you're, uh, you know, a competitor to OtterBox. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, and, and Amazon has proven at this point stopping them from starting Amazon box to, mm -hmm. and, and being able to bump you. So whenever you're using rented land like that, mm -hmm. just at least being aware of it and then thinking through ways that you can incorporate little add-ons to drive them yeah. onto your own owned media site is important. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And you, you nailed it. Like Amazon as great as it is, it's like Google ads and all those other things. It's Facebook, it's rented land. And at any stage, that can be taken away from you. There can be new rules. There can be a higher margin that they want to take. Or if you get enough complaints, they'll just pull your listing and they won't care. And for some seven-figure businesses on Amazon, they can be turned off overnight because Amazon has just decided that it's not right. right. They're getting complaints. They're not holding up to our standards. And that's that person shut down. On your own site, you have a little bit more control. There are limitations as to... A, like Amazon ethically, how they allow you to get traffic back to it, your own site. Okay. But there are some really clever ways that I've seen. I've seen people, like I bought a, a wet bag for like whenever you go out paddle boarding or kayaking and you put all your gear in it, you roll it up. So it came with this little card on a tutorial video of here's how to use this bag properly and get the most out of it. And that took me to a landing page on their website. Ah. It had a tutorial video and that was their way to drive somebody back into their site. Super um, smart. So again, how do you how do you do that? You can't necessarily say like go to my site and leave a review for the product or do this, but can you give a value add in some way that's going to make somebody want to come over to your site? For me, it was like sure, I'll check out the video. I want to make sure that I don't damage my my phone or whatever else I throw in it when I go out yeah. kayaking. So it was just a really clever way. Yeah, especially if you don't have a Amazon OtterBox, then you you know yeah. you need to you need to figure out the whole <laughs> paddleboard thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I've had that with phone cases too. Here's how go to this to figure out how to put the screen protector on with yeah. it, and it gives like this gimmicky thirty second video. But they got the traffic to their site. Yeah. And at that stage, if they cookie you or whatever way they want to do it, then they've got a little bit more that they can work with. So. Yeah, that's great. This has been uh, super helpful, Tim. And I think one of the most practical, just in the weeds conversations that we've had to this point. So I really appreciate you sharing. Yeah, uh, I love that. that. My last question for you before we let you go is if you were donated, you were gifted a check, right? For $150,000, which is not life-changing, but it's some money. And, but stipulation is you have to use it for, for advertising purposes, either for yourself or whatever client X. Where, where are you looking first? What's your first thought to where, as to where you'd invest that money? Really, there's three parts to how I would, I would use that. First, of course, is going to be SEO because for me, I see that as kind of the driver for so many things. You can do really great email, but you're going to hit a cap if you're not growing your audience. You're going to get the email signups. You can do great things with paid, 
but once you spend that 150,000, then it's gone. With SEO, if you could take a percentage off that and invest that into optimizing your site, creating the content, you're then growing something that's going to consistently bring traffic back month over month, year over year. And if you do it right and do it well, you will scale that up and that will become its own method for driving traffic and awareness for you. The second part then would be learning on email. If you have a really good email integration, especially whenever it comes to e-commerce and you're building out those flows. So you've got your welcome series, you've got your abandoned carts, your win back series, you start segmenting your audiences. That allows you then to maximize the value of the customer that's coming. And at that stage, it's become an owned audience. Once they've opted into your list, you then own that audience and you start to learn the behaviors and the ability to talk to them. And then the third part would be then Google ads. But to maximize the ads, you're retargeting off your organic audience. So you're not trying to pay for cult leads into your site. You're retargeting off the people that have already had an impression. And you can retarget based upon the type of product or the page or wherever they were. So that's kind of the three ways that I'd slice it up. There would be more lures to that. But I would definitely say like those are the best ways. You've got to scale the audience. The other things are are great. But if you spend all your money in Google ads and then you've nothing left, that's gone. If you don't have a huge audience and you're doing email, then there's only so much you can harvest from that list. You can't generate more sales. So you need that mechanism that's constantly growing that base of traffic to be able to work from. And that's where SEO um, really has that long-term value to people. It takes longer. It's not that quick win or silver bullet that overnight all of a sudden you're page one for all these different things. But if you consistently do it, you will notice that month over month and then the year over year is where it really starts to get fun where you look back and you're like wow a year ago we were here and a year later we're twice the volume of traffic now and that for all the other things just makes it way much more fun for your email for your paid and everything else because then you're kind of shooting ducks in a barrel at that stage so yeah, I just need to say I did not prepare Tim for that question. That that was off the cuff. So that that was by <laughs> far the best answer we've been given. Uh, very thorough. Thank you. And and I th- I totally agree. I think oh, well, one question I follow up question I had was with email. You're talking about mm-hmm. the flows and everything. And you, you may or may not have an answer to this, but any favorite yeah. tools to to manage all of that? So I'm going to give a, a plug for my friend Robbie here because we do work closely together with e-commerce clients and Clavio is hands down probably the best semi creepy how much it can tell you um <laughs> everything else but it is a phenomenal tool and just the ability to segment your audiences building flows everything else that would be the tool recommendation but you are going to be hand tied a little bit in that you have to be on like an e-commerce cms so you're gonna have to be on like okay a shopify big commerce magento WooCommerce, something like that in order to be able to use it. So it's not something that you can put into your B2B site, but also just, again, just thinking of different things like the ability to A-B test the box that people sign in on. Like it gives some crazy stats and being able to know specific customers, how many times they've viewed a product and then when to drop that email. It's just that sweet moment of, hey, they've viewed it so many times. Now's the time to let them know that this has just went on sale or for the next 24 hours, it's 10% off. It's just a really great platform for that kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds it sounds awesome to me, which means it's probably as creepy to normal people. <laughs> but, um, it is. But yeah, that's- it's that balance. And again, it's it's like all things in marketing. I tell people, 
if you didn't have all these things, it would be the wild west. Like you wouldn't find what you're looking for. You'd be getting ads that are not relevant to you. You would go on shops and you'd never know when there's sales. So all of these things are trying to create a more tailored experience. Unfortunately, there is some abuse that happens where it is like, okay, that was that was too far or that was too creepy. But these kind of things, they're not done in a way to be creepy. But if you genuinely want that pair of running shoes and they've just went on sale and you've looked at them five times, it'd be really nice to know, hey, these are on sale now. So you're providing that value. And through content, when it's done well, it's all about educating and providing value. And if you don't make it salesy, then that's when it becomes content that converts because you're just truthfully Mm -hmm. giving somebody that overview of like, here's what you need to know. Here's how this works. Here's why this would be good to have. Here's some other alternatives to this. And you're just, you're educating them. And if they leave the site and afterwards don't make a decision, you've done your part, but they will probably use what you've taught them to continue their search. And if you've optimized your other page as well, you'll probably show up in front of them two or three more times before they do something and they will come back. So it's just, again, it's all about providing value to the user. And that's, that's what you get rewarded for. That's great. Couldn't have said it better. Tim, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing all this with us, giving us uh, some insight as to yeah, what you do and, and what like SEO can be and, and how it should look. If people are interested in, in what you do or just catching up with you or, or seeing what you're up to, what's the best way for them to follow follow up? Yeah, definitely. So you can go to the website. It's tiptop, T-I-P-T-O-P-S-M.com. And that same handle can be used on LinkedIn. So you can find Tim Tiptop and the same thing for Twitter. Those are typically the best ways to get me. But if you go to my site, it has the links over to those. So that'll just make it easier for you to find me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. Thanks for joining us. And I will catch up soon. Yeah, thanks so much. It's good to talk to you again, Adam. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content is for Closers. We hope you find this show really helpful as you grow your business with content. Maybe you know of other people who would find this show helpful as well. How about you send them our way? If you didn't like this show and you want to tell us that, then you can head over to contentisforclosers.com where you can send us a message, give us some feedback, ask questions, or find detailed notes for every episode. Until next time, keep creating and keep closing.